0: DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. Kid Fury is a force of nature. He's the co-host of one of the biggest and baddest podcasts out, The Read, along with his awesome co-host, Crystal. He's also a stand-up comic, and he's writing a show for HBO, executive produced by Lena Waithe. He's living the dream. Here we go. It's Kid Fury on Tour a Show. The thing that I love about the read is it's very centering. Blackness is centered in that world, Mm -hmm. and gayness is centered in that world, and the blackness pulls me in. The gayness I have to learn about, so I feel like I'm centered, and yet there's a lot for me to learn, so I need to sit on the sidelines for some of it and listen and be a good ally, but for some of it, I'm like... You are bringing me right here into the <laughs> middle of who I am. And so much of the world, even black art, is sometimes centered ultimately around the white gays. Yeah. And your show is 100% toward the black, gay, and lesbian gays. And mm-hmm. I feel transported when I'm listening to you guys. Thank you. Um,
1: I think that it's really just a show that's about being human and being ourselves. Um, and trying to be as transparent with that as possible Uh, I don't really feel like we I don't really feel like the podcast is something that is made to like please anyone specific kind of person we're both black we're both queer and we're both I think very honest about ourselves our opinions and everything that we're going through so I think that it is Easy for people who give it a chance to feel centered in one way or another and also to learn because I think that, you know, outside of different types of black people learning about other kinds of black people, it's really important to us for white people to hear what we have to say after we're all done laughing and stuff like that and to walk away from it feeling like you you know, got something from it, whether it was a much needed laugh or a life lesson or just uh, acknowledgement in the fact that we're all a little bit raggedy and none of us really know what the hell we're doing, we're all exhausted and, and stuff like that. So it's less about like, I think, performing or trying to be this type of person or get here and more just a moment for us to just be honest and friends with one another and laugh and have a good time and whatever else so when people are able to say like you know i was like i always thought like really homophobic things i felt like this way about about gay people and i've learned so much you know by listening to your show or you know my parents were super super racist and I didn't even realize until I started listening to your show and I cursed them out at Thanksgiving and like those kinds of moments they're not like intentional we're just kind of like throwing rocks at walls I feel like (laughs) and you know luckily I think we're blessed that people are are taking things away from it and feeling good.
0: There's so much that happens between the two of you that is so powerful and your funny is really powerful but Crystal's cackle is so <laughs> devastating. Yeah. And it's so perfect. And, like, the perfect, like... Like, you're going in on somebody, and it's bad enough. But then she comes in with her cackle, and it's like, you're dead. Like, she just shot you dead. With her, you know what I mean? Like, because yeah. you, could, you could read somebody. But if there's not somebody there to be, like, caping you on, like, oh, he killed you. <laughs> and it doesn't reach the maximum level. You and, and you do it for her, but she... Ah, <sighs> she's so great, yeah. and you know
1: that. Her laugh is very, in, in, it's very infectious. It's very, 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 like a contagious laughter and it's just so big <laughs> it's like, I don't know, I just love working with her. She's already so funny in herself, but like she knows how to like really make me laugh and I kind of know how to be silly and make her laugh. And so it's genuinely us having a good time with one another rather than trying to, again, perform for people or be like, "But up, like, get it up. Like, you know what I'm saying? We're just like goofing on each other intentionally, making each other uncomfortable or nervous or saying little things that we know is gonna make the next one squirm or cackle or whatever. So it's fun, yeah. I know
0: that you guys are not performing when you start off with something random like Golden Girls trivia, <laughs> which, doesn't really connect to, uh, you know, the black-centeredness that I expect from the rest of the show. But I know you in particular are so enthusiastic about the Golden Girls. Like, okay, it works because he loves this show to the ground. Right. But it's like, well, if you're starting with that, they're not like here to make you laugh. They're like here to
1: entertain themselves. Yeah. Right. Because I like the Golden Girls. I don't care if you don't. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> It's, Dota Girls <laughs> is a fantastic show, so funny, so well written, and still I feel like holds up today to me, even though a lot of references are from, you know, the 80s or before. Um, and I just really appreciate it. I know that there are other black people who also really appreciate it and maybe don't even have that many friends or family members that they can talk to about it, but I like it. <laughs> and so I'm gonna talk about it because it's entertaining to me, you know? So there are a lot of people, black and otherwise my age now, who are like, I just started watching the Golden Girls because you always of you. talk about it. <laughs> I'm like, you just start, like the Golden Girls is older than both of us. True. So it, like, you just started watching this show right now. That's amazing.
0: You have so much don't give a fuck. Yeah. and And I love that about you. And I think it's infectious, the way you carry yourself with it. It makes us want to... Where did that start in you? Because I'm sure there was a point in your life where you did give a fuck. Yeah, totally. And how, so how did you develop into where you are now? You're like, I really don't.
1: Um... Being young and black and gay and Jamaican and smaller than everybody in my class and just constantly feeling like pushed away or judged, um, being made fun of, being like attacked and harassed, and all kinds of pushback. Being black in Miami, where you know you may not be Caucasian but you'll be white a white Latinx person who still is raised to look at black people like less than and stuff. So like racism was constantly around and yeah, I feel like I just got a lot of, of being pushed around that by the time I made it to high school, I was just like, I don't care anymore. Like, what do you got? You know what I'm saying? Are you gonna call me this slur, that slur? The third, the fourth. Are you gonna make fun of me? Are you gonna push on me? Are you gonna laugh at me? Like what else? You know you what I'm saying? Because bullied all the time. I was bullied often. You know what I'm saying? I wouldn't say any more than you know, the next student. Everybody kind of dealt with bullying in high school and stuff like that, but I think I was an easy target because I was quiet, I was small, I was gay, I was all of this stuff, but by the time I got to like 16 or 17 years old, I was like, most of y'all are not gonna graduate. Most of y'all, you know, are not passing your classes, you're not really even aspiring to become anything. Um, So why should I care what you think about me you know what I'm saying like you don't even really think about yourself so why should you know I'm saying like who cares who cares that is when I think it first started for me and I just cling on to that as much and as often as I possibly can I do still care about things I care about making a difference I care about you know Uh, my own morals and stuff like that No,
0: you're you're not like some punk who's like screw the world but you're like this is who I am Yeah. I don't care what you think and I'm going to center myself and you know I don't care and that is so liberating (laughs) I mean I remember going to I was at Bates uh, giving a speech and this girl asked you know basically you know when the racist, when the white racist says such and such how do I debate him back and i was like you don't have to engage with him at all and she was like oh, really it's mind blowing to people. it's mind blowing and you are doing that in your like just with your persona you're doing that like just like we don't have to give a fuck about right. this bullshit and it's very liberating just to see somebody perform it just the way when i told her that like and it's 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 thrilling and exciting to watch
1: Thank you. I mean, I don't know. It just, there's just so much like reacting that takes place on an everyday basis to stuff that doesn't really need a reaction. There's so many things that are headlines that don't need to be. Like I just, in the car on the way over here, saw a headline that said, um, little Yachty tells Fortnite haters that he's a, a millionaire or something like that. Like he's playing some video game online and I guess maybe he wasn't good. And he reacted to people by saying that he's rich. And that was the story, like, <laughs> who cares? Like, All of this, who cares? Who cares? Why are you telling people on a video game or playing a video game, whether against you or watching, that you're rich? We know that you are, why are you even reacting to that? Be rich. Secondly, why are we posting this as if it needs to be new? You know what I'm saying? Like, There's just a lot of stuff where it's like you could be spending your time doing something to fulfill yourself, entertain yourself. You could be taking a nap. You could be having a snack. And you (laughs) are rather... Or just playing the game for fun. Or just playing the game for, you know, a good time. But there's just like this attraction to toxicity that's kind of alarming when you think about it because a lot of times it doesn't require a reaction at all.
0: you talk about rejecting the hatred and bullying of the folks in high school. Mm-hmm. But where does it go from there that you're able to say, you know, so what, I'm gay. So what, I'm black. So what, I'm short. I'm me. I love me. And that's all I care about.
1: Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I think that at the end of the day, this is me. You know, I can't really do anything about that. You know, I'm not really going to work harder than, and I work real hard. I'm not going to work even harder to try and conform to the idea of this person that other people want me to be. And most of the time, that person is really boring. That person is probably really dumb. Mm -hmm. And that person is really fake. Mm -hmm. Why? Like, for what? I know that I'm like, I have flaws in lots of places, like many people. I'll probably be the first one to admit them to you. Cause at the end of the day, you're not gonna beat me up. You're not really going to stop me from, you know, getting to where God has me going. Like what, why, why, you know what I'm saying? For what? Black people have always been like at the forefront of popular culture. Gay people have always, especially gay Black people. Oh my God, we've created so many things yeah. in music, in fashion, yeah. in film, in like architecture, Literature. so many things for like decades and decades and the decades. Pulpit. Right. So your churches, your clothes, your schools, everything. Like, and we don't really get credit for a lot of that still to this day. But we know so. I just can't really see myself, you know, trying to bend over backwards or please other people or or try to be this person that I'm not. Because again, in like another five years, I'm not going to be this Kid Fury. I will be the Kid Fury that learned and experienced stuff over, the, you know, five years. And I'll be that person, you know what I'm saying? And then in 10 years, I'll be different again. And in another, because we're always growing and changing and, and applying things from our lives and experiences to who we are, to who we walk around as. So like, I don't care who, what you think I'm supposed to be doing or who like, I'm, I just, it's, it's not important. It's just not.
0: I feel like you really love yourself and you have a deep sense of self-esteem. Do love you love hate? Do you really? Oh, you love hate. So it's, yeah. it's back and forth.
1: It's definitely back and forth. I mean, I feel like most people know what it's like to be kind of tired of yourself. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, for instance, I'm late to like a lot of stuff. Okay. And some people may think it's just because I don't care. It's because I have poor time management and I'm just like really horrible at it. You know, so when I'm late sometimes to things, especially like important stuff, or late to work or whatever, I'm just like, ugh. The, on the whole way there, I'm like, you are so dumb. It's <laughs> just like, like, what would have been the problem of just closing your MacBook like 10 minutes early and getting dressed and just leaving, you know what I mean? So there's plenty of times where I know that I could tighten up and do better. On certain things and I try my best and then there's other stuff where I'm like yeah no you can do this or you did do that or whatever so I'm not just walking around here all the time like you're is the best and you can just be mad if you're not
0: hey I mean you know I have no problem if that is the internal voice because we get so much coming at us mm-hmm. as black people as gay people that like If you're not having that voice inside you of, I'm the shit, I'm the shit, I can do what I can do, then you are slipping, right? And a lot of black men in particular seem to adopt an ego that their resume does not deserve, but they need
1: that to get through the day because the world is telling them you ain't shit. Right. Well, I mean, if you're not doing the work behind it, then you can kind of fake it all you want to. You know what I'm saying? people will will always see the truth or whatever. Or you'll have moments where websites like Twitter and Instagram delete a good portion of their, you know, fake bot followers, and then people can see that you actually have 100 <laughs> followers rather than 100,000. <laughs> and you know what I'm saying? Like, one way or another, your real life and experience is going to have to be dealt with. I understand that a lot of people gravitate towards, like... Um, internet validation and feeling like you have to post this selfie or take a picture with mm. this person or mm-hmm. whatever to be made to feel like you're worth something. And I mean, if that's what, if that's how you find self-love, go for it. I'm not one to judge anybody, you know what I'm saying? But like, I feel like I'm just in tune with the things I love about myself um, as I am with the things I don't love about myself. And that's just sort of life. What drives you? What drives me? Yeah. Um, Laughter and the desire to get my mom and dad a really big house on the water.
0: <laughs> when well, you wake it. up in the morning, you're like, I gotta get mom and dad that house. Yeah. So my mother most-
1: said that she wants a Mercedes as well. So it's like both of those things. But once they get their nice beach house and their Mer- Mercedes, um, I think I'm straight. <laughs> after that I don't really care about (laughs) anything else I'm not really trying to like be this huge media entertainment force that just cannot be reckoned with like that's not my desire to be this big star I'm gonna go as far as what I'm doing will take me obviously but what I really want to do is make people happy and make people laugh and then give my parents expensive things (laughs) (laughs) so So,
0: what do you see for the next five years for yourself? What are some of the goals and
1: dreams? Um, To, I guess, make my sense of humor and my comedy take it to the next level to produce and to act and write and yeah, just take like the Kid Fury brand of comedy that started in my bedroom in my mama's house and put that on a bigger platform and to represent people that look like me or speak like me or walk like me in, like, honest and fair ways.
0: I know with uh, Jamaican families, especially a lot of the issues around homosexuality, very fraught, very Mm -hmm. difficult. Are you
1: out to your parents? Have you had that conversation? Yeah, we talked about that on September 11th of 2011. (laughs) (laughs) So I will never forget it. It just happened to be uh, 10 years after September 11th randomly. And we are not a family that would have like daily, like we wouldn't all eat at dinner at the table together all of the time. Like that was special occasion stuff or whatever. Usually my dad just got done working all of his jobs and he would be, you know, in front of the TV watching sports, maybe had a red stripe and we are letting him relax. My mama, God bless her working going to school to get, you know, a master's at one point and to, you know, be a CPA and all that stuff, taking care of all her children and things like that. Like, we were all over the place. But for whatever reason that day we had dinner together. I was, you know, in a pissy mood. Don't remember why. I was probably mad at nothing. And they told me that they spoke to like our family doctor. He was my pediatrician and he was also Jamaican. And I guess he told my grandmother that I was gay. My grandmother told my mom.
0: What's his place to even be opining on
1: such things? No clue to this day. I haven't spoken to him about it, but God bless him and all his endeavors. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he told my family. So my family, you know, confronted me about it. And I didn't say anything. What them. does that mean? What did they say? They told me that they knew. And my mother, I feel like the conversation was such a blur because I felt so blindsided by it. Um, and that's not really how I wanted to have the conversation, but it was more like, you know, these are the things that we feel about homosexuality and why, but you're never going to stop being our son. And that's always going to come first and we love you. and. Et cetera, etc. and I just shut the fuck up. I didn't say anything
0: You didn't say anything
1: no. my mom gave me a hug afterwards my daddy went back to watching TV and that was it <laughs> So, so like, they just
0: talked at you and you just listened yep. and then
1: I didn't have anything to say like I was just like, okay, you know now let's have this uncomfortable moment go as quickly as possible
0: You didn't I didn't want to say anything
1: No, I did it. I didn't really think that there was anything for me to say. I wasn't given the opportunity to say, hey, God. You know, I wasn't prepared. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that it was going to happen. I didn't know how I wanted the conversation to go. And I still lived with them at the time. You were- So I was hoping- How I could, old? In 2011, I don't even know how old I was. I had to have been like maybe 23, 24. I don't know, I can't do math. But <laughs> um, I was, you know, in my early 20s and I hadn't left home yet. My idea was when we have this conversation, I would be living under my own roof. That way if it goes poorly, I can go home. <laughs> you right, know what? Right, right. So yeah, I just let it happen and everything from there kind of has progressed. My mom called me after the Pulse shooting in Orlando and she was like, I know you're probably not feeling great because you have to think about how people view gay people in this country and in the world and stuff. We love you, Da, 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 da. And from there, last time I was in my mommy, Miami, my mama asked me if I was dating with this grin on her face. And she knows I date men. So I was like, uh, no, which was the truth. Thankfully, if I were, I probably would have lied and said no anyway. But slowly but surely, I can see that they are kind of... um Living with it and they, accepting it. They seem to be trying. Yeah, definitely better than you know, other people. Two Jamaican immigrants from like the country in Jamaica. <laughs> so it could have gone far worse than it did. I'm quite blessed. Is,
0: are you sort of code switching a little bit to not? I mean to n- Oh no, absolutely not. No. i just
1: like this, always yeah. have been at home. So yeah. it's not something that they just didn't see coming. My mother told me if I was gay, she wouldn't accept it, but she would love me anyway when I was like much younger and still in, in maybe high school or middle Wait, school. So what
0: did, what does that do to you when your mom says that to you? I would still love you but I don't accept
1: that and you're like
0: well, I actually am the gay person you're talking about. like,
1: what like, what does that do to you? I mean, it's just you, by that time I was a teenager, so you already know kind of how the world feels about it. And I also knew what it meant for Jamaican people. So it was just kind of like, you know, this is just the way that people think. It didn't shock me. It didn't really hurt my feelings. If anything, it just made me feel like, okay, I can't really have this conversation with them at this point in time. Um, and I moved on, but it felt in its own way comforting that she was like, look, it's not going to change the relationship I have with you. I just don't like it. Like, it is what it is. Um, yeah, I mean, that's just kind of what but that she's was. trying. yeah they're they're doing so well they don't make me feel any kind of way ever they didn't then they don't now they're like the biggest supporters they're so like loving and comforting and awesome they they're great i couldn't ask for better parents and they're very you know they're very like sensitive about parenting as well and making sure that they're doing good jobs and providing everything that we need emotionally and physically you know as their children so
0: how many are there of y'all
1: i have two little brothers
0: two little brothers we live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to doordash if you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick let doordash bring dinner tonight Um, so when I asked you about your future, you talked about, you mentioned comedy. Mm-hmm. And first off, who are some of your stand-up comedy gods who you look up to, who you feel influenced by?
1: Man, I'm trying to think of the ones that have been a part of some sort of um, horrible <sighs> PR foolishness lately. Oof. Um, I always really liked Dave Chappelle. Of course. Always really, really was a big fan of Monique. Yeah? Um,
0: still even after because y'all, y'all <laughs> still even now after I, can't, she's I don't know with how Roseanne. I
1: feel about that Roseanne foolishness that was so unnecessary <laughs> and ill-timed and just dumb like Roseanne never lifted yeah. a single arm for you when she's you were talking you. about Netflix at all so I don't know yeah. why but you know more power to her and her black wall, I guess but <laughs> um, Sanford What was I say Sanford and Son Red Fox yes um, and Eddie Murphy, like all of them. If you them like, like Red Fox,
0: you like Robin Harris.
1: I like Red Fox. Okay. Red Fox I is do, the man. Because, like, just in character, out of character, Red Fox is hilarious. Like, I feel like all of the classic black comics, Bernie Mac, all of those people, where people just, especially comics like, like Bernie, like a Monique, like even Dave Chappelle who can make me laugh without saying anything. Yeah. Those people were the ones that I always really appreciated. Yeah,
0: Bernie was one of those who just come out and say hi and you yeah. start laughing cause he just has this funny
1: aura. Like he would just walk to the microphone and like you were already in stitches cause you know like he'll make a face or something you're like, it's about to go down. Kevin Hart is also really good at that. Like very good at just making an expression or saying something you know what's going on in their head or what they're thinking. Before memes were memes. Like those comics that would've been memes in like the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, those are the ones I love.
0: So how do you write a joke and how do you get better at comedy? Because you're good and you're performing but as you said, there's a higher level that you could ascend to. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you write a joke
1: and how do you get better at writing jokes and doing comedy? So I really didn't start writing comedy until I started doing standup about two years ago now. Um, so that was frustrating for me at first. It was difficult because I didn't know how to like write comedic thoughts down. Everything that I had done up to that point was just off the top of my head talking. So, Writing jokes for me, I'm still, you know, learning my process and things like that, but I think it just starts with like a broad thought. And I take, like I would like speak to myself sometimes almost as if I were recording a YouTube video or whatever and find what I think is funny. I've gone out to like a couple of open mics. My cousin, Mike Brown, took me out to go do some like open mic stuff, I was terrible. And it teaches you, like, I think, how to deal with the crowd when you're performing stand-up, which is so much different than doing like a podcast or a live podcast or whatever. Um, and I think I learned by watching. I watched a ton of stand-up specials. I went to see a ton of people go and perform, and um, yeah, I just kind of like. I think submerging myself into comedic culture as a performance art um, rather than just watching all of my favorite sitcoms, which I think also helps, but yep. yeah, I think that that's kind of how when I... You
0: talk about working with the audience versus doing the podcast, what do you mean, like when you're in front of folks at a Caroline's or whatever, like what is the added challenge with the folks there? Is it, a, you mean a timing thing or an energy thing?
1: I think it is, it's Timing, it's energy, and when you've constructed like this entire bit, where I was up there doing like an hour, you have to like, there's more going on. You have to like, first of all, remember <laughs> everything. And I feel like there's more of like an intimate engagement with people. And something like that, like moving about on the stage and like looking people directly in their face. Some people may like, um, may want to speak back to you or heckle or do whatever. You have to learn how to like deal with that and work it back into what you're doing. It's just the like the way that a, like a stand up performance moves around is different than sitting on stage and just speaking about whatever there's a lot more preparation a lot more thought and like mental exercising that you're doing which is fun and it's challenging um and people who do it like on a nightly or weekly basis and have been for like years and years and years and years my hat's off to them because it's really hard
0: well you do have to get up all the time to be good at it yeah right obviously, people yeah, will be sure. like yeah i'm doing three clubs a night right and they get really sharp
1: and that's how they are able to like take a joke that they may have written for the first time five years ago and it was like good five years ago and now it's like that one joke is like an hour or something like that because going back and forth you're able to like learn what works what doesn't work inflections in your voice that may help where to pause, how long you pause, all of this other stuff
0: Those tiny nuances of inflections mm -hmm. and pauses that can make it funny or not funny It makes a
1: difference and you learn the more you do it yeah.
0: I mean, it, it, it's, it's quite magical to me to see the development and understanding of, like, if I pause here, that makes this funny, or if I don't pause, that makes it funny, or if I...
1: I mean, yeah. I mean, like, some of the stand-ups I've watched from some of my favorite comics, you would see them do the same joke sometimes in the different specials. And some of the stuff, though, they, they would do differently, but then there are some things like a pause or a face that you may have thought the first time that they just did there. Like, you see that they intentionally do it because of how funny it is, mm. so.
0: My son told me a joke, I think it was yesterday, and he, he said the setup just fine, but then he kind of flubbed the punchline. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you got to nail the punchline. Right. You can flub, and I think people flub on purpose when they're telling the setup. They might seem to misdirect, and they, don't, they never want it to seem like a perfect oratorical performance. But then the punchline has to be like, yeah. like verbally precise.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's just... It's a lot of fun once you get into the groove of it um, because it's almost like a game or like a puzzle and it's definitely a challenge to, especially if you're in front of an audience that is like, you know, when I was doing uh, the Furious Thoughts tour, most of those people are quite familiar with me and my sense of humor. They've watched the videos and and been to the uh, podcast shows and stuff. Different cities just have different energy, you know, um, and so it's really fun and exciting to put yourself in a situation with people who are like laughing, but maybe it's a more reserved crowd. They don't like to do too much, and like try to like go that much harder to really get them to like bust out laughing or break certain you know things down, and then you can like look at people in the audience and like call them out or something like that and say stuff. It's just like. It's fun, it's but it's a different kind of fun than, like, the read live. It's it's exciting. You don't plan out the read? Before we do the show live? Yeah. I oh, mean, no.
0: I mean, there's some there's some planning. I mean, you're not just taking Black Excellence off the top of your head. You're like, here's yeah, a story, yeah, yeah, yeah. here's a story. So there's an outline?
1: Yeah, there is an outline. It's pretty much the same way that we do the podcast in the studio. Like, we pick out... Um, You know, well, I pick out the stories uh, that we do for the topics, hot topics, and the Black excellence, and you know, obviously we both have the read, which has been decided prior uh, as well, but. There's no planning in terms of what we're going to say with one another. She doesn't know what topics I chose. We don't know what we're going to... She doesn't know
0: what your black excellence is. Yeah, she doesn't
1: know what the black excellence is or anything like that because it just makes it easier to have a genuine conversation about it when we don't know what Mm. we're going to be talking about. Um, But yeah, it's the same thing. We just go off the top of our head and riff off of one another. And then the audience also helps that energy in the live shows as well because like you said with the laughing, hearing laughing, it kind of will egg us on and we also can like have fun with them. We have instead of listener letters, we'll have them get up during that segment and ask us questions directly from the crowd. So we get to like really interact with them and have fun and talk about, you know, somebody's horrible ex-boyfriend or whatever. And yeah, it's like a different energy, but it's not all planned, so.
0: Some of those reader-listener questions get really spicy. It's like, yeah. here's this thicket of thorns that I'm in the middle of. What do you think about that? I'm like, the story was everything. Whatever they say is just gravy because the story was just epic.
1: Right. I mean, sometimes I'm shocked at how much people share. <laughs> and then there are some stories that are so insane that we just assume that they're not true yeah um like the other day we had a story about some girl who like her sister was dating this felon who got chased by the cops or the cops were camping outside of like her parents house like doing like a stakeout or whatever and at some point he fell through the roof of a house or of their house trying to run from the police it was just like an, like a crazy, crazy story that sounded like the person made it up, and we said that on the show. And then she was like, "No," and she sent us like an article <laughs> in the news. <laughs> this <Of> is real. <laughs> and we saw his mugshot, We saw the house. We saw everything. So sometimes it's really crazy how much they'll share with us, like their, you know, sexual complications in their relationship or whatever. Um, so that's that's fun because people love the mess. So. Love
0: the mess, yeah, and do. love to bring the mess to you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's
1: it's crazy, but I mean, they know that they can, and we'll keep it anonymous. So,
0: if Beyonce walked in here right now,
1: mm-hmm. what would you say? What would you do? Um, that would be something I'd have to think about once I come back into consciousness and get off of the floor. <laughs> um, I don't know. I honestly don't know what I would say to her. I think, like, when I think about it, the first thing I feel like I would or should say is just how much I appreciate her work ethic and the level of entertainment and performance that she gives all of the time. I think that Beyonce is just inspiring in general, regardless of what you do. Just because she works so hard and... She's just great, like she's just so great, so black, so awesome, and she's just a girl from Houston, Texas.
0: I mean, when you think about the tours, the videos, the albums, and there's lots of preparation and planning and thought that goes. She doesn't just go out and just do her show. Right. Uh, Baycella was different than this. Is different than that. That required clearly hours of pre- rehearsing to get Baycello together. The On the Run two clearly required hours of rehearsing to get that together. Then there's the videos, and you guys made a group album, and da, da, da. and that was six months. That's three years in a lot of people's career. You that is that's just. And you have three children, and I know. Because I, I know somebody who kids attend their kid's school. And they're like, we see Jay and B up in there all the time. So they're not like, the nannies are really raising the kids. Like, they are really... Pu- yeah. How do you do all that stuff? It's amazing.
1: They have the same 24 hours that the rest of us do. So it makes you ask yourself, like... What am I really doing? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, especially when you're in a position where, you know, you're working for yourself in any way, even if you have a day job, but then you also like sell baked goods on the side or you're, you know, a freelance photographer or something like that. You just think about how much work goes into things that whoever your favorite person is, um, it's crushing it. It's just like, hey.
0: I've seen her rehearse doing dance rehearsals. Mm. She was crushing it. The dancers were trying to keep up with her. Okay. She's correcting the choreographer. No, it's supposed to be like this. You're right. You're right. That was amazing. Um, and a record business friend of mine told me a story about when Destiny's Child went out on their first tour. And a lot of people go on their first tour and they're like, wow, that was, that was too much. Mm. I'm good with that. And as soon as they finished she was like when are we going back? Yeah. Because she's like I'm built for this. I got the muscles. I got the stamina. Like let's keep going. Yeah. And you see from stories like that like this is why she's able to do this because she's just built for it.
1: Yeah. There's a spirit I feel like that that woman has that is the reason that she's as big as she is aside from her obviously being able to sing and dance being beautiful and all of that great stuff making good music like she just has a drive that's that if she didn't if she had a fraction of it she wouldn't be where she is right now like you can ask my manager sitting right there right now we be ready to go on tour by the third show i'm like can we stop like her
0: 30s she goes way harder than her 20s she did
1: I think that, you know, she's a grown-ass woman. You know, she's got three kids now. And I'm sure that there is so much that you learn, not only about yourself, but, like, life, priorities. Everything once you bring a child into the world. Like, everything has to shift. And I gonna leave that to y'all because I'm not interested. But (laughs) that probably, I feel like, also lends to the difference in visuals and energy and all of the stuff now and us getting... You know, a Beyonce that freely uses uh, coarse language. I love Beyonce cussing. I can't get enough of it. It's so great when
0: she sings "nigga." It's just special it's a life
1: moment. I honestly like. If I ever do get married, I want it at my wedding. Just the part where she sings, "If you don't know now, you know nigga." Like I want that part <laughs> I looped. Love that at my wedding. It was so beautiful, so majestic, and just also foul.
0: So, now, I thought that I caught on the read, talking about either Baychella or On The Run, a sort of verbal backhand to mm. Jay-Z of mm. like, mm, yeah, this nigga was there too. Let's get back to Beyonce. I mean, it's always about <laughs> Beyonce, you
1: know? Um,
0: but do you have room in your heart for her husband? Or you're like, he cheated, he's not Beyonce, I get love off Jay-Z. Stage.
1: I do love Jay-Z. Like, when I went to On The Run too, I was singing along to both of their okay, songs. Okay, good. So I've always been a Jay-Z fan. I mean... It's just, you're always, he knows. (laughs) He knows, like, we love you too, cute, that's great. All right, when is she coming back out? (laughs) Like, he knows that. Jay-Z probably prefers it. Like, you know what I'm saying? I'm not sure sure I agree with you that he knows
0: that. He He knows knows. I'm the greatest rapper of all time. I'll never forget
1: a quote that I saw from Jay-Z where he said that he was, like, already very personal when it came to relationships and stuff, and then he got with, like, basically Michael Jackson. So he knows, like, he has to know that like Beyonce and then Beyonce's husband. And we love you as well. And it's The Rock. All of that is great. So I love Jay-Z and I'm not mad, Jay-Z didn't cheat on me. So I have no reason to say <laughs> so that. does it me. bother you? No, I tell people all the time, like she forgave him, they're on tour smiling together. And I feel like he actually did put in work and knew that he had to put in work in order to gain her trust back, in order to like repair the damage in the family and then also release this music that is like, look, this is what I was going through here is why and I've learned so much about all of these things because of it versus most niggas who ain't even gonna like send you an apology text <laughs> for cheating on you. So like, why should I care? I mean, what don't he, compare your cheating Negroes to, to this Jay-Z. One.
0: Well, what he says on 444, uh, that song mm-hmm. is fairly extraordinary yeah. and the love rhymes that he does on uh, Everything is Love. I mean, there's multiple songs that are deeply loving. I mean, like, you know, even like, you know, we're fighting and the house is burning down, I'm not leaving, and Tata can take care of my kids. Right. And I mean, you know, I want to just lay up in your hair and drink this beer and this weed. And like, he's, there. I mean, he's showing a lot of love. Yeah. And And if you can't see, like, the contrition is clearly there and there's a deep love there then they're moving on why are each
1: other's biggest fans when they perform on stage he's like it almost looks like he's wowed by her constantly he's always bigging her up even on ape shit. there's a part where
0: what does eating healthy mean to you whatever your eating goals
1: From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the I Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can hear him say, she went crazy. Like, yes, he yes. loves her. She loves him, not only just as, like, husband and wife, but also, like, as performers, you know? So I'm not going to compare the raggedy-ass niggas that I've dated who did me wrong to Jay-Z because they've never had the space, time, or opportunity to even put in work to be better. I want to give
0: a shout-out to my long-term supporters, policy genius, who just wants you to know that it is easy to get life insurance, which will help you take care of your family God forbid anything happened to you. I mean, if you feel like providing for your family is what you're supposed to do, then you should be able to take care of them after you're gone. That's what life insurance does. Policy Genius is the easy way to get life insurance online. In just two minutes, you can compare quotes from top insurers and find the best policy for you. And when you compare quotes, you save money. It's that simple. Four million people have used Policy Genius to shop for insurance And they've been supporting this show forever. So support them. If you're looking for a good reason to buy insurance, prices are at a 20-year low. Go to policygenius.com. Get quotes. Apply in minutes. You can do it on your phone. Policygenius is the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. So how how do you write a TV show? How do you get a TV show when close I find to out the I'll air? Let you know. No, because you're working with Lena Waithe mm-hmm. on a show. It's not been bought yet, so yeah. you got there's a hurdle still to be bought. Hey, but you, but you're you're rocking with Beyonce of TV writing, so you're okay. in a good space.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: But but you you've gotten further than a lot of us, and for a lot of us, writing a TV show is the dream. Mm. So how do we get? How does one get to where you are in that process already?
1: I honestly don't have an answer for that. I think that like. For me, I was just blessed because this was something that I planned. This being the show uh, that I'm developing,
0: is there it was a something name for that it I yet?
1: planned. No, not yet. Okay. But um, I know what I want to call it. We'll see what happens. What do you but want to call it? I can't say. Okay. But <laughs> um, yeah, it was something that I had completely planned on making a web series independently. You had this Um,
0: concept before you got involved with Lena on it.
1: Yeah, yeah, years before. Um,
0: The concept being...
1: Being the basically a story about my experience um, moving here in my mid-20s and not really uh, dealing with a lot of the issues and hurdles that my depression, I didn't know I had, was putting me through and being like very harshly confronted by a lot of my inner demons and figuring out how to get the help I needed and put the work in uh, to just be happier and healthier and more understanding of who I am as a person not a gay person specifically specifically not a, like a just a black person but to the person that I am as an individual and how it looks through the lens of a queer black person.
0: When did you realize that you were depressed and not, this is just my moods or my bullshit, but like, no, there's a name for this and I can deal with it and I don't have to suffer with this?
1: After my grandmother died, um, I was just spiraling. Like I felt so numb, I felt so just like- How old? This was maybe three years ago now. This is new. Yeah, she just died a couple years ago. She died actually for the... Like, we went to London for the first time. When was that? 2015. Okay, yeah. So about three years ago, we were going to... Like, she was sick when we went to London. And then, like, she died, like, right as I got back. I'm sorry. So, yeah, I was just like, okay, if I don't speak to someone, then I'm going to die. So I went and specifically... (laughs) Uh, found a black woman to be my therapist. And yeah, we spoke about pretty much every possible aspect you could think of about my life and the way that I feel and think. And I was like diagnosed with a real form of depression. And yeah, from there, it was just more so about being honest with myself and learning how to deal with it. Um, Because before that, I just think that I thought I was like, you know, just irritable or just sometimes not so great. You know, a lot of people experience depression in one way or the next. Um, maybe it's because of a traumatic event or stress or whatever. For me, it's been like a lifelong thing, so I just thought that that's how I was. I didn't think that it was like this is like a medical thing. So learning that, I feel like brought me, you know, a little bit of peace. Um, and it's just been about doing the work since then. So. I just imagined how many people that look like me who were told a lot of times by the people that look like them in their lives, friends and family, that therapy's not even an option. Black people don't go to therapy. We don't go to therapy what are you talk about? We pray, we take Robitussin. Like, that's our feeling.
0: <laughs> Smoke some weed.
1: Yeah, you know. Keep it moving. So I just can't imagine how Did many you have people. to get
0: over that, the notion that that's some white shit. Black people don't go to therapy. I
1: didn't care. By that time, I was like, "Look, I'm going to do what I got to do to feel better. And if this is either going to help or it's not going to help, but I haven't done it." So, and
0: did you have friends who had done it? Like, what told you that might be helpful?
1: I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. I had entertained the idea of going to therapy before, anyway. Just nothing. It's just one of those things that you know you think about sometimes, like hey, I'm going to go do this or that or whatever, and maybe I need to. But I just, I never really sat in that and, and like really decided to go until my grandmother passing because I was just not feeling good. Are you so, still the
0: same therapist?
1: Yeah, it's been the three years since then. So she's been great and it just has helped me a lot in being able to move forward. I mean, I remember having conversation with family before I really started going to therapy and they were just like, "Mm, are you sure? Because they're just gonna tell you to do this or that's not, you know, necessary or it doesn't help or just all of this stuff for me who have never gone to therapy. Has it helped? Absolutely. How
0: how exactly has it helped? Where do you see it?
1: Um, It's just helped me, I think, in being able to be honest with myself and be able to call out a lot of the um, self-destructive behavior that's always been a part of my life. And a lot. it's also helped me confront a lot of things that have happened to me that I'm still dealing with that I didn't even connect, you know? So, yeah, it's helped me like tremendously and I really think that a lot more people should try it. Like, I'm not trapped, this woman's not making me go and speak to her every single week. I'm doing it because it genuinely is helping me. If you feel like it, doesn't help you then you know that's one thing but i feel like there are a lot of people especially people of color who would benefit greatly Hell, we should be getting uh therapy for free (laughs) living in trump's america like we shouldn't even have to pay for
0: it amen for that would you encourage folks who are considering it find a therapist of color because that's that's going to be better for you as a black person
1: i mean i i think it's all you know your decision I just knew that the person who was going to speak to me needed to be a a person, like a black person. And I specifically chose a woman just because I felt like, you know, I feel like black women are just more naturally like nurturing and caring. Like black women give a fuck about everybody and sometimes to their own detriment because so many people push back and don't give a fuck back, you know? And it's really unfair, but like, there's just no type of, like I think, love or comfort than the love and comfort that comes off of a black woman. Um, but I just felt like being black, I needed someone who I could speak to and who would not only be able to help me through certain experiences and stories, but relate.
0: Did you need a therapist who is queer? Or you didn't need
1: that? No, I didn't.
0: Why didn't you need that part?
1: Um. I'm not sure, I just didn't, I feel like, I feel like I kind of have an understanding of that for me and I also think that it's like a minor factor in the everyday life of me. You know, like I think that there's almost this misconception that um, that queer people wake up and being queer is just the f- forefront of their life. Like, I don't wake up and think, you know, how am I going to gay today? Like, you know, (laughs) I think up and, I wake up and think, okay, well, my rent is due and I got to do this. just like everybody else. It just so happens that when you go to bed, you might be going to bed with a woman and I'm not. That's the only thing. But for some people, it's almost just like that's their entire existence. When I think of all the help I need, being gay is like the last of it. I have a, a grip on that, you know. Men ain't shit. But, you know, I can speak to this woman who's a heterosexual cisgender woman and say, men ain't shit. And it's not like she's like, uh, what? Uh, how? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> She knows what you're talking she about. She knows what I'm talking about. It's not really, if I do want to talk about dating or my ex that messed me up or whatever, she, it's not confusing, you
0: know. If a man wants to be with you. Mm-hmm. What does he have to be and not be? What are you? What, what are you looking for?
1: I ain't looking for nothing. To be honest with you, I'm looking to. You know. What are you open to? Um, I just like guys that are like confident. I'm kind of shy in that regard, so I like for a guy who can come up and be like, "Let's go out," you know, like something like that, and you know, has wits about him and is smart and compassionate. And ain't going get on my nerves. Like <laughs> so I don't think I ever require every much every
0: significant other is gonna get on your nerves yeah. after a certain amount of time.
1: In one way or the next, but mm-hmm. I just like openness. I like honest people, and yeah, it just kind of. Does to he be have to be black? He does have to be black, but, but probably. he's going to get my attention faster. if he <laughs>
0: <laughs> Does he have to ask you out? You're not going to ask him out.
1: I mean, odds are, if we're going out, you asked. <laughs> And it's not because I just feel like I'm some precious, no. you know, gift that, you know, no, you have to come and talk to me. But you're shy. I'm not good at being like, hey, you know, so usually it has to be a guy who's going to be like, hey, let's go and do this. And I feel like that that confidence is attractive to me. But I also think that being Kid Fury can complicate that sometimes.
0: Well, yeah, does the fame get, I mean, the fame must get in the way, right? Like, you don't really know if you can trust this person, why are you coming at me, because you want to be with Kid Fury, but you don't really know me. I think there are
1: more assumptions from that guy than there is from me. I think that like a lot of times guys think that, you know, oh, there's like a million guys in his life, he ain't gonna care about me, or they think I'm gonna talk about them on my podcast, which I am not, (laughs) or, you know, some other, like there's just a lot of assumptions, I think when people see me and recognize me as well but i mean there's plenty of time for for that later i'm trying to focus on
0: yeah so you time. are consciously not dating so that you can focus on your work
1: i'm not consciously not dating i'm just not concerned about dating at all like it's if it happens at this point cool if it doesn't cool you know, I just feel like a lot of the other stuff in my life is a much bigger picture than dating. And I also know myself, like if I get into a situation with somebody and I happen to really, really like you, I'm gonna be so distracted that it's like, I'm gonna have all kinds of people calling me and be like, you're supposed to turn this in <laughs> like 10 days ago. What well, happened? Oh, we went to Six Flags and then we decided that we did it. <laughs>
0: I don't have time for that not right now. <laughs> but It's funny you say that, because you seem extraordinarily focused, and you are about your business. And one thing I love about you is you are building your own lanes. You right. are not waiting for people to come to you, right? The, the television show originally is your idea, right? Mm-hmm. The podcast uh, comes from you, right? It's self-generated. So you are building your own lanes, which is kind of amazing and something you kind of have to do. Yeah,
1: exactly. Like, you you just do you know there aren't first of all to be honest many people in in these positions that can give you an opportunity like developing a show or releasing an album or whatever they don't really have they a lot of them don't really have like the creative state of mind mm. or they may not be well connected in with what's going on or why, Mm. you know? They are very good at at seeing what is generating a lot of of attention or money or whatever, and from there, it's obvious. Just like, oh, these people are making tons of money, or this person has five million followers. Let's see what they're all about. You know, but when you're someone like myself who is, you know, black and gay, both visibly, and feminine. And all of these other things where, you know, even some of your own people, I'll look at you and be like, I don't care about what you're going through or what you're talking about. You have to like, do your own thing and be confident in it and take it as far as it can go. And even if you aren't, like you look at all of the people, like a Jess Hilarious, um, who just started talking their shit on Instagram and now you're on sitcoms and now you got movie deals and all that stuff. like you have to get up off of your feet and do your own thing to the best of your ability rather than waiting for somebody to just come out here and give it to you, you know, because that's just like the quickest way to get yourself disappointed. And even if you don't end up getting a deal with a Netflix and HBO, a, a Universal Music or whatever, like you can still say, hey, I did all of this on my own And I have this to show for it and all of this stuff. Like, you have to have something. It's like the 24 hours in a day I was talking about with Beyoncé. Like, so many people. Like, I, when I started doing YouTube videos, was working a full job. I was going to school. And the only time I had to make those videos would be like between midnight and 5 a.m. Like, I had the worst sleep schedule. I actually still have a terrible sleep schedule because of how many years that I was up at three o'clock in the morning recording videos and editing them and then going to sleep for three hours before I had to get up and go to work. You know, so it was very hard, very stressful for a long time, but I genuinely enjoyed doing it and eventually got to a place where I was having so many people who are amazing and appreciative of it that that helped to keep me motivated to keep doing it. And now I'm sitting here talking to you about a show I'm developing on HBO. How did you get to Lena? Lena Waithe actually is amazing. She's monstrous. I can't even, like, <laughs> like she is a beast. Indeed. I just love that lady. But she, I believe, had a meeting with some people at HBO and somehow my name came up. And I knew that she had listened to the podcast because she said so on maybe Twitter uh, one time before, and that was mind-blowing, because I was already a fan of hers. So I was really excited. But I know that she spoke to some people, I think, at HBO, my name came up, and uh, I was told that she just told them, like, look, if you don't work with this guy, then y'all are, like, crazy. So she was just, like, in this big, big important meeting um like showing me love and i guess she wanted to come on as a producer and so
0: so she plucked you or reached out to you like abstractly like don't know him but love him respect him i want to be connected with him
1: well like yeah she listened to the show so she definitely knew of me before yeah. but we were not like,
0: friends there was not never a had meeting.
1: met never had like really spoken to each other, like personally or anything like that, I just knew that she was familiar with me and definitely with the show and Crystal and all that stuff. And that was fine for me, I was like, holy shit, Lena Waithe listens to The Read, this is amazing. <laughs> but, you know, the love that she's shown and the support that she's, sh- she's just amazing. I'm so excited to have her, as we- have her be a part of it.
0: Hell yeah, hell yeah. What, attitude has most propelled you forward?
1: Um I think the attitude that has propelled me forward the most is just like understanding like that understanding what like my worst case scenario is versus the best I think in the sense that like when I was doing YouTube videos, right, the worst thing that could have happened in that situation is that, like, nobody watched them. And then, if that was the case, I would have just kept going to work. I did the read, the worst case scenario there was that like, no one would listen to it, or people would listen to it and hate it, or whatever. And most times, I think that when you're talking about doing something for yourself or, like, achieving your dreams, when you think of, like, the worst thing that could happen when you, like, go out on a limb, it's not that bad. Or if it is pretty bad, like, you can certainly recover from it. So I think that the uh, just trying, I think, is what has propelled me forward. And, like, so many of the things I've been blessed with, I don't even really know how I got there, you know? I just know that I didn't stop working, and I didn't, like, measure my success alongside uh, someone else's. I didn't look at somebody else who was doing YouTube videos before me, or blogging, or made a podcast before me, and think, oh my god, that person's working with Puffy, or oh my god, this person just, you know, got to deal with such and such. And I'm, just, you know, what I'm saying? Like, I, I look at my own journey. It's just mine, um, and try to keep myself focused and also like keep people entertained. But yeah, I think I was just like, hey, what's the absolute worst that could happen? the worst thing I could think that could happen to me is that I die. And If I die, I don't even have to deal with it no more. Like, you're just dead and it's over. So like, who cares? Like, What's the big deal? Uh, what's your superpower? <laughs> what's my superpower? My superpower, um, probably being able to eat like a 10 piece wing in maybe two minutes. That's probably it. Or like a can of Pringles, salt and vinegar, or pizza. That's it. I don't think I have any other gifts. Honest answer. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. You're <Go>, <laughs> welcome.
0: Thanks so much to Kid Fury for making me laugh, and thanks to you for listening. We're here to give you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. I'm on Twitter at Toray and on Instagram at Show. Please subscribe, rate, and review, and tell your friends about the show. Torrey shows written by me, Torrey, and produced by Chris Colbert, with help from Candid Nicole, Jessica Blank, Lainey Frost, Lindsay Davis, and our photographer, Chuck Marcus. We'll be back next Wednesday with more knowledge from amazing folks because the man can't shut us down.